What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the All American Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carr, here bringing you guys a brand new episode. Today, we're going to recap March Madness, the tournament, all its upsets, Cinderella stories, and disappointments coming up next. So as I mentioned, getting into the March Madness recap today, and wow, it truly was madness this year. We had just everything. I mean, we had a 15 seed nearly reaching the Final Four. They did reach the Elite Eight for the first time in tournament history. Um, We had a Duke and UNC Final Four. That was crazy. I mean, really could have flipped a coin there to figure out who won that game. Hard-fought battle all the way. We had a hard-fought championship, too, between Kansas and UNC. We had a bunch of surprises, disappointments, Cinderella stories, some big you know, draft stock risers, draft stock fallers, some of the top guys. We're going to be covering that all on the podcast today in just a second. But what's up, everybody? If this is your first time here, my name is Chris Carr. I'm going to be pumping out more episodes to you guys here on the All-American Sports Podcast. There's a lot of stuff going on in the sports world right now. We got, I mean, the Masters starting, uh, you know, today. Uh, Tiger Woods is back in the golf, you know, world. So we're getting that coverage, and that is going to be covered here on the podcast. We got the MLB starting up. Opening day was today. Um, You know, my Boston Red Sox were uh, unfortunately postponed. They were supposed to play uh, their rival New York Yankees today. We're going to have to wait on that, but we still got a lot of great baseball action uh, today and coming up, so MLB preview episodes uh, will be coming out in the uh, coming days. I'm going to focus on uh, you know kind of more condensed episodes, focusing on one topic at a time. So you know, not only am I improving the quantity, I'm also improving the quality. I believe at the same time because I'm really going to be you know focusing on one subject at a time and you know making it a little bit more brief, but you know same you know detail as usual. You know, just kind of taking it one step at a time. I think that's going to be better for you guys. But I will uh, definitely be pumping out more episodes. And then, um, you know, obviously we got these craziest offseason I've seen in all of sports history. In my lifetime, at least. You know, the NBA free agency from a few years ago when the money, the salary cap went up, rivals it a bit. But this offseason has been crazy um, I've covered it a little bit, but I'm definitely going to pump out some more episodes. I'm going to focus on, you know, grading those trades that happen. Free agency is still going on. So, you know, we're going to talk about the winners and losers as it winds down. Um, it is cooling off, I think, a bit right now. We haven't had a splash move in a while, but a uh, lot of stuff to cover in the sports world. We got the NBA playoffs as well coming up, Stanley Cup playoffs. Talk about that. Uh, but for now, just recapping March Madness. I got a lot of stuff to talk about today. And it will be in a uh, more of a brief style episode. You know, we're going to go be going over all the superlatives today um, in just a second. So we're going to start off here, just jump right into it um, with the Cinderella story of the tournament. No doubt it was the uh, the St. Peter's Peacocks. I mean, they just put on a show. A 15 seed reaching the Elite Eight is, you know, unheard of, unpredictable, really. Um, we hadn't seen anything happen like this, you know, at all in tournament in tournament history. It had never happened before, um, and I, no one really saw this coming. I, I feel like I well, I will say shout out to my guy Sammy Levitt. Um, he is a broadcaster now for the Padres. He actually recently got that job with the Padres. I've been following him for a while. Um, he was a minor league broadcaster for a while, jumped around the baseball world, but he was the one. 
He was actually correct on a lot of March Madness predictions, but that was the most impressive to me. He called, he, and he, he's a college basketball announcer as well, so he knows, and he predicted that. And um, he predicted them to not only win that game, then he said Sweet 16, uh, round of 32, and uh, he did say Elite Eight as well. So I got to shout him out for that. Um, I, hope to, I hope to have him on the podcast someday. He's a great guy, um, and I'd love to get to know him better. Um, in his job, because, you know, that's what I envy one day. But uh, but anyways, St. Peter's back on the subject here, pulled off a outstanding win, I mean, versus uh, the uh, Kentucky Wildcats. I mean, I think Kentucky was a very popular pick to win the bracket. They were at least my pick. Um, as you guys know, that didn't turn out too well for me. They lost in the first round. No one saw that coming. Uh, St. Peter's, you know, Doug Eddard turned up to be, you know, the fan favorite of the tournament. And now, unfortunately, we got the news today that, you know, a lot of those stars are going to be in the transfer portal, likely leaving St. Peter's. Um, and Shannon Holloway, their coach, um, joined Seton Hall uh, to be their head coach, where he used to play his uh, college basketball days. But it was fun while it lasted. The Peacocks were awesome. They reached the Elite Eight, faced a very tough UNC team, ended up losing. But, I mean, they pulled off a great win versus Kentucky. They played, you know, that 2-3 zone, which really, you know, just 2-3. But also they played primarily 3-2, actually, if I remember correctly, in that first game, which really just rattled the Wildcats for the whole game. Um, they had great shooting all the way along. They looked like a smooth offensive team. And normally, you know, when you see a team pull off a great upset like that, it's like, wow, that's awesome. You know, but they're going to be coming off a high. They're not going to, you know, be totally locked in for the next game. And, well, they proved everybody wrong. They got a meaningful win versus a very, very, very tough Purdue team, which I did not see happening at all. Um, I thought Purdue, I mean, they had Zach Eady down low, a 7-4 center, which I thought would just totally overpower um, St. Peter's didn't happen. They had Jaden Ivey, um, a top lottery, top draft pick. He was a lottery pick and proved his stock up to, you know, probably a top five pick in this year's coming draft. I thought that would just overpower St. Peter's. Nope. They played him close all the way and, uh, ended up getting a well-earned victory. And then they moved on. They faced a very tough North Carolina team. That was where it ended. Um, but they were very close to reaching the final four. But I'm proud of them. They had a great tournament, and they are, without a doubt, the Cinderella story of the tournament. Everyone's favorite. I mean, everyone loved following them along, and that's probably the most I'm going to talk about for any team, any player, this whole podcast, but it was well-deserved. Um, bravo to the St. Peter's um, Peacocks in the tournament. And, I mean, it was just crazy because I think once people you know, saw that, they kind of examined like, the campus. I saw like videos of like the campus, and it's how much money they put in, it's really not that much. And it just goes to show anything can happen in March. They're facing one of the most pristine programs in college basketball history in the Kentucky Wildcats. Another Big Ten superpower in the Purdue Boilermakers, and they pull off the wins. And they played UNC relatively well. I mean, you could see at that point they were like, yeah, probably uh, didn't, you know, didn't a lot of people said they didn't deserve to be there? I disagree. I think they should have been there. They played well um, in that UNC game. I mean, they were never completely out of it. They looked like you know they they still had some drive under them, um, but they were without a doubt the biggest Cinderella story in the tournament. Honorable mention goes to the Miami Hurricanes. I actually predicted them to reach the Elite Eight. 
but I did not know anyone else who shared that belief. They were a 10 seed. They had a tough matchup in the first round of USC where they barely pulled off a victory, faced a very tough Auburn team in the next round, got a win there. Uh, then Iowa State coming off you know two huge wins versus LSU and um, and then and oh and by the way I totally forgot to mention St. Peter's beating Murray State too that was an important victory I think uh, very overlooked too I mean Murray State only had two losses all season long um, and that was a great win um, but they then moving on Miami they faced Iowa State got a good win there. Um, without a doubt. I mean, that was a very good team. Um, and then they played Kansas. Didn't play all too well against Kansas, but still, a, a similar story to the Peacocks. They made it to the Elite Eight, played well, deserved to be there without a doubt. And Miami did it. You know, they have a great coach, an older, um, you know, group of players led by Cameron Mcgusty, and they didn't really have a true center, which was interesting, which was an interesting dynamic. But I kind of saw that versus Auburn playing out that way in their favor. I thought Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler were kind of disappointing in that game. We've seen it happen with Auburn before. I, I remember the game they played against Florida earlier this year. You can kind of see they did have some weak points. And the Hurricanes were not honorable mention. Only reason they are not the Cinderella tournament is, of course, St. Peter's. But they were also a 10 seed, so it's nothing you know absolutely crazy for them to reach the Elite Eight, but definitely unexpected nonetheless. Moving on to the biggest disappointment in the tournament, it was the flip side of that St. Peter's upset. I'm going to go with the Kentucky Wildcats. I mean, I had them winning the, winning the entire tournament. They were led by Oscar Shibwe, a great variety of players. I mean, they look like a complete team all year long, um, led by head coach John Calipari. They looked promising. They played, honestly, I thought, a, a decent game against you know St. Peter's. It looked like a team... That could go far because it really looked like they were playing another, you know, SEC rival or something like that. St. Peter's just looked good. It wasn't that Kentucky looked awful. It was just two good teams battling it out. St. Peter's got the best of them. And as a two seed, they lost, I think, very similar, you know, to uh, what we saw with Ohio State and Oral Roberts. You know, a 2-15 and 15 seed matchup. People had high expectations for them. They did not live up to it. And as a two seed, that's very disappointing um, considering, you know, they had a first team um, you know, player in Oscar Shibway, who I think everybody pictured would be leading them to at least like an elite eight. I no one saw this coming. Kentucky just complete disappointment um, right there. But honorable mentions go out to Iowa and Tennessee as well. These were two similar um, matchups here because uh, Iowa won their Big Ten tournament. Tennessee won their SEC tournament. Tennessee did get the win in the first round, so I will give them a bit of a pass. They played just not a good Longwood team at all. Um, you know, I did some research on them before the tournament. They looked all right, but everybody, you know, kind of felt that Tennessee would, you know, completely smoke them. They did, but losing to Michigan in 11 seed in, in the second round, Michigan was a great team, but that was very disappointing, I thought. People, a lot of, you know, sleeper picks there had them. Uh, going to you know the final four, maybe even winning it all. Um, I know Iowa was also a popular pick to make it far. They were a five seed, so they'll give them a little bit of a break. But they did lose a five twelve matchup versus Richmond, which I thought was very favorable. I mean, Richmond seemed like yes, they had a great run in their conference tournament, but I was questioning them a bit because you know same thing with Iowa. They had kind of a lucky run in their conference tournament. I didn't know how 
you know, long that would stay. But Richmond just did not look great at all. It looked like they kind of relied on hot shooting, but they found that hot shooting again. The spark did not, in fact, wear off. They got the win over Iowa. Iowa did not win a single game in this tournament, and a lot of people predicted them, you know, to beat a team like Kansas, um, which was very disappointing to me. Also, I somewhat of an honorable mention goes out to Baylor. I mean, they were a one seed. I had UNC beating them, but I mean, as a one seed, I will give them a bit of a pass because they were banged up, um, and they did win a game for, versus Norfolk State. Um, but I mean, still, I, to lose to UNC, I know we saw how good UNC was, but still disappointing nonetheless as a one seed to not win more than one tournament game. Um, next, we go on to the biggest surprise in the tournament. This isn't really a Cinderella. This is kind of more of a just surprise in general. Um, from you know a team that people saw probably winning a game or two, but nothing crazy. Um, and I, I would say UNC. I mean, they made it to the national championship game. Who saw that coming? I mean, people would see that coming in a normal year for UNC, but coming in as an eighth seed, they had a very disappointing last year or two before that. New head coach in Hubert Davis, who actually did a fantastic job. Shout out to him. Um, and, you know, kind of a group of players that was not well known. I mean, people knew Armando Baycott, I guess. Caleb Love was on the draft radar a bit. R.J. Davis, too. And, um, and you know, people knew a few of the guys, but they didn't really have a superstar. And also, I would mention Leaky Black, good defensive player. And Brady Manick, who ultimately became a fan favorite towards the end of the tournament. Um, but, I mean, no superstar was leading this team. They did not have a good... Uh, regular season by any means, and I think what was kind of a weaker ACC this year, um, and they they had a tough matchup too versus Marquette. I could have seen them losing that game, but I also could have seen them making it pretty far. I had them beating Baylor, but not making it any further than that. Uh, but they surprised everyone. They played their absolute hearts out. They left everything out there on the floor. I mean, that was as far as that team could make it. Um, they should feel super proud of themselves, but they, you know, they got the matchup versus Duke that they, they wanted. I don't think anybody saw that coming, but they did. They won that, got the best of the rivalry. Just a huge surprise for the UNC Tar Heels. Uh, our mention goes out to Arkansas too. They pulled off a big upset versus the, uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I mean, that was one that not a lot of people saw coming. Everybody, Gonzaga was the consensus favorite to win it all. You know, led by Chet Holmgren, who was at the time and maybe still is the consensus top pick. Um, but shout out to Arkansas, and they are going to be a very good team next year too. We saw it this year. Uh, you know, they have a lot of recruits coming in, but Eric Musselman, uh, great coach. You know, led Jalen Williams, um, JD Note. I mean, they had a lot of good players in that team. They played hard defensively, physically the whole way, and I uh, really just love their energy on the court. Shot the ball pretty well too. Um, so Arkansas was the honorable mention surprise. And the eventual champion, Kentucky, not a lot to say about it. They just looked like a team who was going to win the championship all the way through. I mean, absolutely dominating the first game. Um, you know, Creighton played them pretty well, but even still, and I, I thought even the matchup um, they had versus Providence, they looked great. Didn't really, I, and I was a little worried about them towards the end of the tournament because it felt like they hadn't really gotten a total test yet. I didn't think so. Like they played like Miami in the elite eight, who was completely burnt out by that point. Uh, they faced kind of even a weak Villanova team, 
you know, Jabari Smith going down, so obviously that hurt. Um, but, you know, it it just, I don't know, it just didn't, or Justin Smith, rather. It just felt like they hadn't really gotten a true test of who they are as a team, but they dominated all the way through. They looked very smooth passing the basketball. Everyone on that team that I saw playing could score, could pass, could run with the offense. And also, I mean, they were a great defensive team. Uh, they were led by O.J. Ejibaji, very powerful guard, shot the ball very, very well towards the end of the tournament, which was a big question mark going in. Uh, they just And McCormack down low was phenomenal. They just looked like a complete team all the way through, very smooth, and you know was always in a rhythm. I just, I just I've never seen a team that was so you know just well compromised I, like or that's not really the word I'm I'm trying to think you know it was just they were smooth they were you know basically flawless the entire tournament um, and I I just Bill Self did a great job this was the best Kansas team we've seen in years coming into the tournament and they worked well to play together. Um, and uh, just cohesive as a unit. So uh, shout out to them. Shout out to the Jayhawks. Well-earned tournament victory. They are the national championship of the uh, college basketball tournament. Runner-up and honorable mention to UNC, of course. Already covered them, playing their hearts out. And then Duke and Villanova as well. Two other Final Four teams. Really had a blue blood Final Four. Uh, but Villanova played very, very well towards the end. I think just Justin Smith's injury was too big for them to overcome. They looked out match versus um, Kansas. They played well in that game, too. I mean, Colin Gillespie was hitting shots, but ultimately their offense kind of came to a halt late in that game. Kansas just could not miss, and you could tell. I mean, both teams were going at it, and Kansas was simply just the better team. Every time you know Villanova would inch closer, Kansas would just back away. They look like the better team. And also Duke. I mean, Duke played a phenomenal tournament. They were a team that I didn't really like. They had a lot of holes, a lot of, you know, just games where you didn't see them look great. And that worried me a bit. I know it was Coach Krzyzewski's final run. I don't know why I doubted him because he took his team in the Final Four. And uh, they were, you know, just a few buckets away from uh, from the national championship game. So uh, shout out to those two as well. They were the honorable mentions. And now we're going to cover the top players in this draft and some of the risers and fallers. Starting off with the fallers, I'm going to start off with A.J. Griffin for Duke, um, which may be a bit of a surprise because he did have some great games to begin the tournament. Um, but at, towards the end, I really think that UNC game, you know, was a big spotlight for him and his team. And he was non-existent. I did not. I, I mean, I saw him on the floor, but I did not see him scoring the basketball. Didn't look like he was playing, you know, all that much either. They kind of, you know, removed him off the floor. Um, and I know they were in foul trouble. They kind of put him on there, but did not score the ball at all, really, in that last game. And that was just ultimately just not good for a guy who was really a projected, you know, top five, top ten pick, now falling probably down mid to late first round. Um, just a surprise. I feel like we didn't really have, you know, a total faller from March Madness. It's hard to really get that. Um, you know, unless he, in very rare cases, because if usually if it is a faller, you know, a guy who is um, really projected, you know, a high draft pick and his team loses first round, you only see one bad game or one or two maybe bad games. With this one, it was just Griffin, you know, more in a big spotlight and uh, he just did not come through. And out of, you know, a top five, top 10 pick, that was just unacceptable. So um, ultimately, 
he moved down the draft board. Another one was Jabari Smith uh, for Auburn. They did win one game, but then lost the second one to Miami. And uh, maybe I'd mention Walker Kessler's teammate in there as well. But Smith, I mean, it's just it's not that he even played that bad. He, he didn't play good, I will say that. But it was more that a lot of the top guys in this class played very, very well in the tournament. And for Smith, who was, you know, a projected top pick, maybe top two, top three, um, it was just, you know, a little disappointing to see him and his Auburn team lose, as they did in some points this year, you know, to just very surprising teams where you think they have the upper hand, but um, it was just, you know, he didn't look smooth out there on the floor. I feel like, uh, you know, some teams have kind of questioned his role a bit, uh, but it seems like, you know, he does have that potential to just be a star player, a guy you can build your franchise around, not really have to worry about his role. He is just the guy for your team. So he didn't, you know, he didn't see really any glimpses of that in this tournament, um, which is a little disappointing. But um, And they even played kind of a close game in Jacksonville State. They allowed them to hang in there, which I thought was disappointing. You know, a guy like Smith, top pick, you expect him to really take over games. I didn't see that, and that's the reason why he's falling. Uh, then honorable mention was Kendall, well, another faller. We're doing three fallers, three risers. Um, so the third faller was uh, Kendall Brown for Baylor. And, you know, this was a tough task. Baylor was banged up, but they were, you know, the defending champions. Brown was, you know, projected first-round pick. Maybe still is, uh, but just disappointing ultimately the result. It's not that he even played a terrible game because I really didn't I thought we see any, you know, terrible games. Coaches were not afraid to take star players off the floor, as we've seen. Um, but I would say Kendall Brown was a bit of a faller. Just Baylor did not look great, even against UNC. Then. Didn't look great, looked good in the first game, but even in the the um, Big 12 tournament, you know, we kind of saw Brown's leaky play, you know, kind of fall through into the tournament a little bit. He really didn't impress me too much, and that is the reason why he's the third faller. Uh, moving on to some risers, of course, Oche Ajbaji for Kansas led them to a national championship, answered all of the question marks surrounding him, and he definitely rose up my go- my board. I thought he was the best player of this tournament, um, in my opinion. And, you know, when you're going to have that, you're going to have a guy who's going to get on NBA teams, uh, you know, top of the list. And I thought OJH Baji was that guy. You could just watch him see he was the leader of the very best team in the tournament. And when you're a guy like that, I as I said, you're going to rise up draft boards. He did that. Um, just look at a complete player all the way around and show the capability to lead a team and lead them far. Um, even to a national championship. No, nothing really to be said there. I mean, he was just awesome. Best player in the tournament, uh, clearly. Second was Caleb Love, and a guy that was surprisingly, you know, because you watched him play in the tournament, and you're like, yeah, that guy's a stud. He's probably, you know, a top 10 pick. He was not even on, you know, a, a mock draft. He was kind of on that maybe very, very late second round, like the 50th, 5th, 60th pick, if he was lucky. He was on, you know, scouts' radar, but really wasn't a sure thing to be drafted. Um, but after this tournament, I mean, he he really rose up draft boards. I would say probably up to you know late first round, early second. Um, he showed the capabilities of leading a team like UNC very far in this tournament. Looked very athletic out there on the floor, you know, he, and he did because this was a common theme in the regular season where he really either had a good good game or a bad, bad game shooting the basketball. 
And we didn't totally see a bad, bad game until that, you know, very last one versus Kansas. But even so, he still, they were the, you know, lenient on him. And he had an opportunity to tie the ball game at the end. I know that one would have been awesome. He didn't get that shot to go, but still, you could see he could score in so many different ways. Just looked smooth, played hard defensively. Caleb Love, shout out to him, he had a great tournament. Um, and then Benedict Matherin was my third riser, a guy that I think a lot of people uh, thought fell in this tournament. I completely disagree. I thought he had a great game versus uh, TCU mainly. I mean, that was a nail bite. That was one of the most underrated games. I'd probably say the most underrated game in the tournament uh, to watch. That was a, one of the best college basketball games I've seen in a while between Zona and TCU. Um, close battle. Zona got the best of it, and it was mainly due to ben- Benedict Matherin. Um, a guy that really answered a lot of draft question marks about him. You know, his size, shooting ability. He showed a great ability to shoot. Looked very confident out there on the floor. Um, and just played hard all the way around. That's what you want to see out of a college kid. And, you know, you're hoping that transfers in the NBA. I think it will for Benedict Matherin. He looks like a very successful player. And just all, all the way around, just, you know, cohesive. Um, so shout out to him. He was my third riser. And then we're going to talk about three other guys at the top of the board. Uh, Jane Nivey, Paolo Bancaro, and Chet Holmgren. Uh, we'll start off with Jane Nivey, um, who I think, I, same thing with Matherin. A lot of people saw him falling after, you know, only t- winning um, two tournament games. And, you know, it didn't play all that great, but I, and the, the stats tell a different story because it wasn't totally a pretty box score in some of the games, some of those spots. But to me, just the eye test from Jane Nivey, he looked to me like a number one pick. I No doubt about it, in my opinion. He looked great out there for Purdue. Purdue looked like a great team in the tournament. I thought they could make it far. Unfortunately, they fell to St. Peter's. Um, shout out to the Peacocks. But I thought Jane Nivey looked smooth. He looked like an NBA player, confident in his shot. But you know, with that length, that athleticism, he looks like he's going to score a lot too at the next level. And same thing, size and athleticism, he can also easily defend guys. He's very athletic, very lanky, long, but also, you know, strong. He gets the basket with ease, but can also shoot pretty well. Um, A little bit of a question mark with the shooting, but in the tournament, I thought he shot pretty well, or at least picked good spots and showed the confidence to shoot from out deep, which is what NBA teams are looking for. Um, And I thought Jay Navi was definitely a riser in this tournament, at least for me, on my board. Um, next, Chet Holmgren. It wasn't a you know a total fall, but from grace, but it was a bit. I think he was the you know consensus number one pick heading into this tournament. Maybe you could argue, uh, you know Smith or Ben Carroll, but I think Holmgren was probably the favorite to go number one. I, he still might be in that conversation, but I don't think he's any the favorite any longer. I think he's more of you know a two or three guy. I, I just think. We did have some questions about, you know, his size and his ability to get moved around the post, and it did show a bit in the tournament. You know, that's what teams were focused on with Georgia. They thought, or Gonzaga, they thought they could really exploit that, you know, down low pairing of Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, kind of, you know, move those guys around. And I thought Arkansas completely did that. I mean, we showed, you know, Holmgren wasn't pretty at sometimes too. I feel like even against Georgia State, the Zags struggled um, in that one, and Holmgren just. Did not look at you know like a top pick at, at some points in the tournament to me. Um, I think there's still a lot of question marks with him, you know, because at some points it's like where does he fit into the NBA level? 
And I, I just, I, it, to me, in this tournament, just the way he played did not look like the way a number one pick would play. He looked not so confident at some points, you know, down, especially defensively. I worry about him a bit, and he really just can't go in the post all that much. He doesn't have the confidence to do it. He kind of gets bodied around it sometimes, and, you know, it kind of settles for outside jump shots, which is not the best thing you're looking for out of, you know, a top draft pick, so... Uh, question questions, I think, a little bit for Holmgren. On the flip side, Bancaro, Paolo Bancaro for Duke, uh, had a great tournament showing, especially against UNC. I was a little bit skeptical on him heading in a tournament, and I admit I was totally proved wrong. He was kind of the opposite of Holmgren. He showed the ability to really go inside and use that great size of his, get some inside buckets, but also he shot very well in the tournament, I thought. Very good defensively, too. He looked by far like a better player. Um, then Chet Holmgren to me. And that's what I would do if I was an NBA GM. I'm leaning towards Paolo Bancaro. Um, I had a Chet Holmgren. I just thought he looked smooth all around the ball, but mainly that ability of you know being able to shoot, which was I know a question mark for Bancaro, um, but also going down low and scoring. You know, it wasn't just even driving. It was you know using those kind of post moves down low um, when you know guys were in foul trouble, like I know um, John. And, uh, you know, the backup center, even to Mark Williams, who was in foul trouble at the time um, for, you know, Duke, he really stepped up and he played that five role well for a good amount of time, grabbed some rebounds. And I think Ben Carroll can do it all, you know, at the next level, play multi-position, you know, multiple positions and really just do everything a number one pick can. So, you know, his question marks uh, were answered, you know, in my book. Um, this episode definitely ran a little bit longer than I wanted, but I think it covered everything. And I hope you guys, I gave you guys an entertaining one. Um, you know, I don't mind if it does go longer, um, than usual, you know, it's, you know, kind of my first try at some of these, uh, different episode types, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. More episodes are coming. I promise, uh, in the coming days, coming weeks, and, uh, I'll see you guys next time. Peace.